0: Jenny. What? I never thought I'd say this to anybody, but I got to go get the atomic bomb out of the car.
1: you try to tough it out with them, they'll lock you in a room somewhere and throw away the room.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back once again to the i double podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And I make him watch movies and TV, and sometimes I make him listen to records. Uh, but I've made him watch another movie this time. It's another movie about the perils of atomic weapons. There's, there's, there's themes here. <laughs> I see themes. We do tend to—sometimes I plan these out, and I'll plan a month uh, like Harryhausen month, or hitting you with uh, Bill Murray in The Razor's Edge, right after hitting you with Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. <laughs> but this one, it just sort of evolved. I we decided to watch um, War Games, and after that, I realized, oh, the a natural follow-up to that has got to be Colossus: The Forbidden Project. And then, in um, in thinking about this, realized. We've got to watch The Manhattan Project. Ah, uh, yes, The Project Connection. That is another movie. Yes, yeah, The Project Connection and the, the Nuclear Threat Connection. And it just seemed like another... It's another early 80s movie. It owes something to war games, but it is significantly different. And it's, it's very distinct in its approach to things. And it also shows how quickly things tended to change in the uh, in the 80s. This is from 1986. War Games was from 1983, and it's a very different attitude, very different kind of movie. It's a
1: very different kind of movie, and just in before anyone tries to follow along, this is a movie that is very, very unaware of how difficult it will be to Google search later in the future, <laughs> because you have to ki- ki- keep putting in, like, parentheses, film or movie every time just <laughs> to find it, but it is a very different film, because this is... Oh. To, to parallel the two things we were discussing, we watched a movie about a kid dealing with nuclear weapons and being out of his depth, and we watched a film about a very smart guy dealing with high end, his high-end creation and only later realizing how out of his depth he's been for a while now and this movie is kind of putting the mentality of the second into the body of the first because this is about a kid who's way too clever for his own good going way too far and only realizing later just how far he's gone
0: he he thinks that being smart will help him stay in control and he does and, and it does not any more than it did for charles forbin so the manhattan project it's um It's a movie, it's uh, directed and co-written by Marshall Brickman, who directed a few movies, but also he's probably better known as a co-writer with uh, Woody Allen. And it's got this real, it's relatively condensed, but really, really good cast. Oh, yeah. We've got uh, Christopher Collett as Paul Stevens, our protagonist, but we've also got Cynthia Nixon as his new girlfriend, slash partner in crime uh jenny anderman cynthia nixon better known for going on later to play one of the the main roles in sex in the city and then we've got john lithgow yes as dr john matheson who's kind of the the mad scientist whose madness is that he doesn't really appreciate the weight of his discovery and his creation he's He wants to be recognized and funded, of course.
1: John Lithgow is able to play characters who are charismatic without that having to be their only feature. He's a guy who could absolutely be okay on the stage at a symposium, talking to the crowd and getting them excited and being a people person in that way at times. But that doesn't seem to be the definition of what this guy does or what his life is. And I always appreciate that he can have that kind of energy without letting it be the defining aspect of who he's playing.
0: You're right. it's He's a, somebody you want to keep your eye on, not because he's super attractive or not because he's doing something supremely fascinating, but because there's always this sense of, I want to know what he's thinking, because he's obviously thinking about something very deeply. Yeah, he can play suave. He's done that in other things, oh, but yeah. he,
1: can, he can play suave as afterthought in a way that is distinct and excellent. And this is a movie that utilizes its Lithgow well.
0: <laughs> and we've also got John Mahoney. Yes. As the uh, um, Lieutenant Colonel Conroys. He's the military Representative here. He's kind of the this movie's version of Barry Corbin's character from War Games, but a very different character. Very different character. Same position, so to speak, but a very different style. And then we've got Jill Eikenberry, um, uh, Robert Sean Leonard in his first movie role. He went on to star in Dead Poets Society. And to have a recurring role or main role in uh, House MD on TV. Oh yes. So, yeah, really, really good cast, really focused. And I'd say that is a mirror in the story in that it's very focused. It's not a big story in that sense. It has a lot of big implications, but it focuses on these few people and what their motivations are and what it brings them to. And it
1: this is. I always go to this but this is a movie that has two movies in it. <laughs> yeah. Again, because this is a, this is I want to call it a point and click adventure heist, hmm, followed by a a dramatic action movie that leans I've got to reference a movie we haven't watched yet, and I don't know if it... uh, A
0: dramatic action film that leans Goonies' word at few moments more than it needs to. (laughs) I guess so. I guess some of the action beats are kind of Goonies-ish.
1: Yeah, just in terms of the, the staging and some of the supporting cast that we get into later that don't get a lot of major role. And then it ends actually back in the movie it started in, which wraps it up nicely. But... It's got that
0: distinct two halves portion, which is pre hend post-bomb. So just to give the, the setup to orient us, and as usual, spoilers, we're talking about a movie, we're probably going to talk through the plot at some point. But it starts out with um, John Lithgow's character, Dr. Uh, Matthewson, is in his lab in Cambridge, and he's showing off the technology that he's developed to a bunch of government representatives and he's developed a way of using lasers to separate and refine transuranic elements to make super pure plutonium using lasers to help refine it and the government thinks well this is great we'll be able to make smaller nuclear weapons with much higher yields let's give this guy all the funding he needs move him some to some place uh, that's out of the way and have him do his stuff, so he moves to like suburban Ithaca, New York, and they set up this big plant for him to supervise, using his technique to refine lots and lots of super plutonium and that's when he meets through meeting his uh, a real estate agent uh, who he takes a liking to, he also meets her son Paul Stevens, Paul Stevens, who is <sighs> He is this immediate...
1: Paul Stevens is more technically competent than a lot of the smart high schooler with a smirk characters, but he is brilliantly dangerous in this, like... He's got that bit of an absent-minded professor, like... he's, He's off thinking his thing, and he's not there in the moment all the time.
0: That's interesting.
1: Because his... He, he's, he's thinking this like, ooh, I could do the thing. We see him immediately, like the first thing he does is just it, like setting up this, uh, this chemical explosion for the prank, right? Yeah. And it's like the, the fact that he can seems to be the motivation for him.
0: Right, he never really does think through the consequences of things.
1: He's very much a, a what, not a why, or a, or a what will.
0: And yet I think that initial bit is also supposed to be showing us us that he has this sense of justice that the kid he's pranking with the little flashbang explosives on his desk drawer deserves it because he's a jerk and he'll borrow everybody else's notes that he can, but he won't help anybody else um, uh, when he has the opportunity to. So I think that was supposed to show that he wanted that, that Stevens wanted to use his powers for good. I don't know that it succeeded, but it seems no. set up to do that. Yeah, which is is very
1: important because when he... That that idea of that justice is very important because when he starts... he In trying to impress his mom, our Lithgow scientist gives him a tour. And the kid's too smart.
0: He figures out a lot of things very quickly about how weird this plant is. In some ways, I think that this protagonist, uh, young Paul Stevens, is the weak point of the movie in that he is very, he's, he's a little too competent. He's, there's nothing he isn't really good at, with the possible exception of thinking through all the consequences. He's great at physics, great at math, great at chemistry, great at sports, great at charming people and interacting with people, at least with like David Lightman. Matthew Broderick's character in War Games, he had strengths and he had weaknesses, and there seemed to be a balance to that character that we don't really get with Stevens. Yeah. In some ways, people talk about um, character-driven plots. Stevens seems very much a plot-driven character. It's what pieces do we need? Let's put them together. No, it doesn't matter if it comes into a believable person or not. We have all the components we need.
1: Absolutely. That's that's actually where, and I'm going to immediately jump into. That's where I was calling the first part of the movie point and click adventure. Yes. Paul Stevens is able to, as long as he has object A in his inventory, he can touch it against object B and make the thing advance.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's
1: something absolutely so missed or Monkey Island games about that without some of even the personality of the Monkey Island games where it's just like, oh, yes, I need to get through door. Use laser on door.
0: Yeah. Or, like, like,
1: use Frisbee on motion detector. (laughs) And he just, like, like command line prompts his way through an entire heist, which he apparently planned in a night. And there's, like, the plot says you've got to
0: be able to, but (laughs) everything in my gut says you shouldn't be able to. Right. It really is. It's driven by what the plot requires as opposed to the plot somehow unfolding from what we were starting out with. And um, and that's true, the timing of that. I, I, I can see, I like a good heist. I like seeing the planning. I like seeing it play out. But the idea that he went from visiting the lab in the afternoon, figuring out what they're doing, which is they're claiming to be making radiological material for medical use. And in fact, they're making something different. And Stephen's figures out this must be dangerous why are they hiding it otherwise that very evening he's telling his girlfriend who's an aspiring crusading uh, uh journalist about this they notice there's an electrical storm coming thunderstorm and they figure this is our opportunity to break in and plan this whole thing and execute it within what total of eight hours from the time he first visited this lab It's the fact that, like, highly stylized heist shows
1: like Leverage actually give more lead time to their (laughs) well-competent and trained crew to perform a heist like this than this film gives him. And that is just very pointy, especially when it tries to keep itself in a realistic world setting later. I'm like, you
0: kind of lose some points there with how this all got started. So their goal is to steal some of this super plutonium so that they can expose what's really happening at this lab. And then he has the brilliant idea. We're not just going to bring this sample of plutonium to someone to have it tested. I'm going to build a bomb with it. I'm not going to put it together. I'm just going to figure out how I can do it, have the stuff to do it, because then people will really pay attention.
1: Stevens... Please tell me you watched War Games. (laughs) What you're doing is playing the game. That's exactly what we were told is not what you're supposed to do. Please, Stevens, stop it. Remember the only winning move, Move. (laughs) Paul. (laughs) Come on, Paul. But yeah, I mean, I I will say I love that this might be one of the only instances in film I know of where a bunch of actors have to literally explain the prop department's prop as part of the narrative because they have to stand around there in a later scene holding a bottle and explaining no it's dish detergent and glitter someone switched out our, our plutonium and I'm just thinking all of them are dish detergent and glitter thank you
0: yes so it's nuclear detergent oh wow Aren't many full-on dad jokes in this podcast, but I couldn't resist that one. How? <laughs>
1: you keep going. I'm going to cringe in the corner for a second. Thank you.
0: Yeah, the 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 plutonium is stored in a scintillate. It's it's suspended in a gel. And you're absolutely right, Ian. What he puts together to replace the one that he's stolen, so they don't discover the it's missing right away, is metallic glitter in shampoo, and obviously. That's what the prop department used for this whole thing. Oh goodness! A lot of other interesting prop work because they had to ha- they had to build essentially a replica atomic bomb out of the things a teenager might be able to get and find and build an atomic bomb out of. So they've got photo strobes as the the triggering device and salad bowls as the reflectors. And he figures out the secret pattern for the compression explosives. Um, when he realizes it's probably like a soccer ball yeah which i can't
1: tell like no joke this film helped me in class one time because the accurate aspect of the fact that you've got to press it all at the same time was like a test answer on a quiz about how uranium works and like <laughs> i'm like wait a minute, I know this from movies. And then I'm like, why was the movie accurate? <laughs> like, I thought this was the sort of thing that movies didn't explain so that they could have some plausible deniability. But this movie just actually tells you some actual how these things function. There's a bit of how the way things work book built into this about devastating devices.
0: And by this time, everything the movie goes over in terms of how atomic bombs work and how they're put together, it was public, public knowledge. It was published yeah. at that time. And and this is a writer who is very interested in that kind of accuracy and verisimilitude. And One of the inspirations for the screenplay was the fact that he read a, an article in like Scientific American or something about some method of using lasers to separate transuranic elements. And I thought, oh, if somebody can figure out how to make that reliable and scalable then that's going to be valuable to someone we talked about the the different
1: poles of the scale that is hard and soft sci-fi the gradient that that is right. this leans harder on its sci-fi than it seems and that's very interesting because it's it's posing a potential actual someone could build this in a very real way it's not fiction aspect but it's very hard science in that sense in terms of how it presents potential in that form.
0: Yeah, the one missing piece to building a bomb like this would be getting the fissionable material. So the one leap or speculation in this movie is what if somebody made that available by making it in a place where someone else could steal it to prove a point? And yeah, so we get the heist
1: scene, which also really is like the best Frisbee golf video (laughs) I've ever watched, but that's separate. Um, but he makes his way out, has a very long, like, it takes longer to get out of the building with uranium than it does to get in the building and get uranium.
0: Yeah, there are a few times when this movie is a little too in love with its own little clever jokes, so they spend way too much time with him, he's he's cut a hole in the wall and taped the sample in this gel to an RC truck, and is driving that out of the, the place, and he's they spend way too much time in this, like, cat-and-mouse game between the security guard and the radio-controlled truck that he's trying to drive away with. Yeah. Negative, bad pacing. Positive, you've got a very nice spot to go get more popcorn. That's true. Yeah.
1: But after that, you get the, the most terrifying montage.
0: Oh, the construction? <laughs> yes. My little new club, my little new club. Yes, that's the oh. weirdest thing is this chipper uh, montage music. Yes, it's nothing, nothing dark, nothing sinister. Uh, it's just this oh happy school day is kind of.
1: Yeah, it's, like, it's way too happy, and we're watching him, like, press the f- the physical core and wire up all of the different bits of uh flash explosive, and it's like,
0: oh. Um, and then take a break for a little bit of dialogue, where he is meeting with the person who graduated a year or two earlier, and is now in the army and is, uh, is selling Paul some stolen C4 to use as his uh, compression explosive. Yeah, which is- Um, awkward. (laughs) But yeah, and all the while, he's gotten some of these resources and a place to work and all that because he's told his science teacher that he wants to participate in this big science fair that has its finals in New York. And he's doing something about depriving hamsters of light or something cruel like that. I I think the nuclear winter might deprive (laughs) some
1: hamsters of light. So I guess he's accurate in a long term sense. (laughs)
0: It's kind of clever, though, because he winds up walking around with his homemade item bomb in a wooden toolbox that has stenciled on it, do not open live animals. I definitely know, uh, I have known people who would be much more deterred from opening something because it says it contains live animals than they would if it said contains atomic bomb. Yeah, it's actually very effective deterrent. Yeah, I might be one of those people. I don't know same possibly (laughs) but it's uh,
1: once you get into the construction and it kind of settles down and gets a little more serious it also gets sillier in other ways because you get him building this device and very very tense moments of like putting the core in and closing it up and showing how he's got all these safety things on it and Chekhov's atom bomb, you know that means safety things ain't going to work, even if you've not seen this film before. They do a great job building that tension, and you know that means it's going to be needed.
0: Yeah, it's always in pieces, it's always the, the triggering mechanism is not connected, the core is not inserted, but you know all the pieces are there, and that's going to happen.
1: Oh yeah. And then we get to the science fair. And The Science Fair is its own completely separate movie because it's this weird... Like, this is where the character stereotypes really ramp up because we get this other little crew who become factors
0: in more important ways than expected later. And the movie really shifts. All all the while, they're in high school. They're not yet 18. We know that because of some legal stuff that they mentioned. But jenny and and paul are really acting like they're activists in their 20s and then suddenly get, they get to the science fair and it's like you know a nickelodeon show or something they're suddenly they're acting as if they're a lot younger and it's frenetic action and it's like you say a very different movie it makes me wonder and i'm getting very meta about the production here it
1: makes me wonder if they recorded the end the the later bits first and the start of the film after.
0: That is definitely possible, and that, that middle section at the science fair—they shot that by actually conducting a science fair. Really? The producers—they paid like seventy-five bucks a piece for New York area science students to come with science fair projects to put on, and they essentially hosted a private science fair. That's awesome. And uh, and that oh that and that was in the New York Penta Hotel which um, was known as the New York Penta for a while, before and then after, and I believe currently known as the Hotel Pennsylvania. And I know that because your mom and I went to a number of science fiction conventions at the Hotel Pennsylvania. That's awesome! (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was a real science fair, and they didn't plan all those things in the background. They just said, hey, come with a science project, get 75 bucks. And maybe they even had judges, I don't know. It would make sense, too. If you're going to do it, go for it. I love that. More films that need
1: Walla and a thing going on in the background should just make a thing going on in the background. <laughs> That's brilliant. You need a a bunch of people to show up for a concert? Actually run a concert. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I know that there's good scenes to use extras that are paid to be able to act in a specific way for, but
0: my goodness, just making the crowd shots happen with Human interaction is smart And uh, of course they, they did plan the, the the characters and the exhibits for the little group of uh, four or five guys that Jenny and Paul meet at the science fair and who help them escape when the uh, the government tracks them down because by now they've realized, oh, one of our plutonium sentillants is really just shampoo and glitter, and then they piece things together and realize it's probably uh this uh too smart for his own good kid.
1: I gotta say the moment when anyone else shows up in the room where he was doing the construction, the room that we had the uh the entire montage running through, and it's them in hazmat suits with very loud Geiger counters, is terrifying. Because it is. It helps it helps recontextualize. Like you get you get this Already disturbing, building the atom bomb sequence with chipper music. And then the next time we see that setting is in a, this place is dangerous
0: to life kind of response in that way. It's like, oh, and we do see throughout Paul is taking the radiation risk very seriously. And he's building the appropriate radiation proof containers and a glove box for doing the, um the filtering of the plutonium out of the sentilent and, and putting together his uh, his core and all that. But still, as smart as he is and as capable as he is, he's still doing this in a bookstore house, a, a book storage room in a high school, and he's a kid putting this together with materials that he could find. So I don't really know how entirely safe this is and how, how positively I feel about Paul's health going forward. Yeah, there's... The-
1: we're going to have to bring that up later in our ideas for yeah uh,
0: and maybe, three R's. And maybe the school does not want to distribute the, the textbooks on these shelves to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just also love the fact that in an example
1: of the too smart for his own good, there's a major point of this. He knows they're working with radioactive materials. He knows that he can build this bomb out of it. What he doesn't have is the information About how pure this is and how powerful. He is always, up until the parts where it's important, in the dark about the fact that this is a magnitude more than he's thought it might be. And that is a huge aspect of how this, like, that is a, a capstone to the not as smart as you think or not as prepared to do this as you thought you were.
0: Yeah, he thinks he knows everything and he's smart enough to figure things out, but there's some pure information he just doesn't have. It doesn't matter how smart you are if you don't have that piece of information. And the fact that this is 9.99998% pure plutonium is the thing he didn't know. And he's being it seemed to me he was being loose and sloppy enough with his measurements making this core. It's kind of lucky he didn't accidentally... Have this go critical because he packed a little bit too much, a little bit too tight, and didn't realize what he was working with. Yeah,
1: it's and the fact it there it's the balancing act the entire time because this becomes this cat and mouse game of him with his ragtag little crew that forms, trying to outrun the authorities and the authorities trying to chase them down. One side doesn't realize how dangerous they are, and the other side is terrified about the fact that this could even happen and is constantly infighting about the fact that this is even going on. And you get to see the divisions internally there. The other science fair students who are this group of four almost painfully stereotypical uh, nerds at times, but very, very resourceful nerds, are just astounded at this thing's creation and amazed and think it's so cool and want to be part of this group and help him out because yeah you've got a reason to do this and it's a good point. Ah. And they don't realize how dangerous it is. Even they understand the concept, they don't realize the absolute scale of how dangerous what he's done is.
0: Yes. So even when when Paul gets to the point where the 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 authorities, including the the colonel and uh the scientist, find them and catch up with them in New York, and he says, okay, I understand, I'll give you the device. The other nerd squad has already taken the device out of their car so that the bad guys from the government, so to speak, don't get it. It's like, that doesn't help. Yeah, things probably would have at least calmed down if Paul had been able to turn it over when he decided to. Meanwhile, on the...
1: The, the scientists and the military and such, there's a very big divide between the, he's a kid who's not knowing what he's doing, and the, no one could just do this. He's got to be working for someone. There's got to be more to what's going on. There's this absolute, this is incomprehensible, so there has to be something
0: that fits the way we think of the world about this. Because it can't just happen. And that's where we start to see Dr. Matthewson, John Lithgow's character, change. And start to reassess his priorities and what he's been involved in, because he really is seeing that this is a, he 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 can kind of see himself in Paul to some extent i think oh yeah, oh, they, they he, definitely make that parallel early, and he's realizing how incredibly uh uh zealous and extreme the reaction of the colonel and the the military is to this, and then he realizes why you know how yeah this There is real consequences to what I've been working on, what I've accepted the money for, and the attention, and all the things I wanted. And he really reevaluates things. And the second half of the movie, one of the most interesting things to me is to see those changes happen in that character, and to see John Lithgow portray those changes so well. Oh, yeah. Because as this goes,
1: and we go from chasing down a group to trying to work with to not trusting because that goes badly. It eventually ends where we're terrified. It might, it ends with the military surrounding him and him arming the device to make the point thinking it's the deterrent.
0: And they're back in the lab where all of this stuff is refined because they decided, well, if we're on the run, the only thing that we've got, the only card we have to play is the fact that we've got this device. So let's do what we set out to do in the first place, bring it to the lab, bring lots of media attention to the lab at the same time, and let the world know what's going on. But when they've got him cornered and surrounded by FBI snipers and all of this, he realizes, well, if this device is the only card I have to play, it's only a playable card if I assemble it and make it possibly lethal. And it is exactly the sort of
1: escalation we saw in War Games of each side refusing to back down so it rises towards the top. And that is more terrifyingly shown in some weird ways in the Manhattan Project than in War Games because we see it being done on a person-to-person, object-to-object level instead of purely on a screen. Mm -hmm. This movie honestly makes my heart... Stop and race at different points way
0: more than a lot of other films do, and those are the points at which we see some of the very best acting in the movie. With um, you know, the kid playing Paul, he, he's not the best actor in the movie, but you still you see this. He he knows he's being driven by desperation, and yet he's being driven by desperation, and he starts to put this together while trying to put a very smart, cocky, intellectual front on it. And the pain that you see in John Lithgow's character as he realizes what's happening and he's trying to get through to people on both sides, to Paul and to the government, and failing and realizing why. And even John Mahoney's character, you can just see him realize the implications of what's happening. Well, there's the wonderful back and forth of the evacuate the people. Yeah. Af- after the bomb's been assembled, they, they, they realize, well, it's the bomb's been assembled and it seems like it might be going off accidentally because after all, it is a, a device put together by a teenager and they're trying to, to stop that. But in the meantime, someone says, excuse me, sir. What about evacuation? Evacuation of who? The people. Oh, you mean New York, Pennsylvania, Vermont, Canada, those people
1: that the that last bit of scene? of Paul kind of watching this plan fall apart physically because he made this out of these things. And there's all these back and forth moments of the, what'd you use for a this? I used to this. Oh, that's clever. You're a smart kid. You don't know that this sort of thing doesn't work well in this scenario because it'll break down in the presence of radiation. Or you used flash... Uh, um,
0: the photo strobes. Fo-
1: photo strobes. And that means that once they start charging, we can't pull the power and de- decharge them without them going off. Things like that. It's like you did a great job building eighty percent of a bomb that can work, and that twenty percent is a lot of safety features that were learned the hard and terrifying way. And we don't have those here. Oh, great! Is so, so nerve wracking. Yep, and. This is also one of the best bomb defusal scenes I've ever seen, as they try to work through how to not
0: die. And yeah, to suddenly see these different factions come together, Paul and Dr. Matheson and the government guys, they're all suddenly working together to keep this bomb from going off because it's the only thing that they, uh, they have to focus on right now. It, it goes from Paul and his girlfriend against the military-industrial
1: complex to- A ragtag group that thinks they're doing right against a little more frenzied military industrial (laughs) group running around to try to deal with this to everyone together against the thing that got made. And there's this like shift of allegiance in that way because everyone has to work together in the end because
0: there's no anything if you don't by the end. Interesting. Something about the way you just described that made me realize that we talked a bit about Paul being a character who's too smart for his own good. And this is really about all of the people involved being a little too smart for their own good, believing that their intelligence equal to control. The scientist thinking that he could come up with this method for creating a substance which really has one practical use in the world and that is making weapons and that making using this process making more of this stuff was still somehow under control and something that he could play a role in without getting without it getting out of hand you've got john mahoney's character representing this government mindset and also some of the people who were deciding at the beginning of the movie to fund the the project the idea that we can fund this project, we can make use of this technology, we can build these weapons, and somehow they'll never get out of control because we're smart enough to control them. And Paul, of course, I can steal this stuff and build an atom bomb and keep it under control and and have my goal of letting the world know about it because I'm smart enough to keep it all under control. None of them, None of these people is smart enough to keep everything under control because they can't foresee and control everything they couldn't foresee and control one another for one thing and that leads to things getting out of control that actually
1: also helps explain the very end of this movie the best way yeah because the very last thing of this movie is lithgow's professor character opening up the doors to the crowd outside who's become aware of what's going on the crowd has built up kind of being told by the 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 plucky underdog squad that ran off about this thing as part of this plan. And it's him finally saying, We can't control this. And we've got to be open about this. And literally opening the giant shutter doors and the gate and kind of revealing the whole thing to the public. And that's a, it's not in control. We've got to admit that. And that's the only control we have is the control of acknowledging that. And that is. Very important, because everyone else kind of calms down at that, but he actually takes an action afterwards, which is distinct. Everyone else is like, I mean, there's some, like, d- dismantle the rest of this when it's no longer going to explode now action, but he actually takes a, a step that moves the final chunk of plot in that weird little bit.
0: He does, and I, I don't think the movie could be what it is without that ending, But that ending does bother me because it's a little bit too pat, a little too cheerful.
1: Yes. Thank you.
0: It's, I don't believe anything could really play out that way. If after they defuse the bomb, so it's not going to detonate and he goes over to, um, uh, open the giant garage doors on the side of the the building because there are people outside who have been told to gather and, and, you know, get out the word. The government, the FBI snipers, they would not allow him to open that door. The news has already been full of stories about this fugitive, young Paul Stevens, who's a nuclear terrorist who stole nuclear material and built a bomb with it. They've already got their cover story. Oh yeah, he, he would have been shot before he opened that door, the, the professor, and the story would have been, he was obviously an, uh, an accomplice of these nuclear terrorists. Uh, no, but, things but, would have, even if word of what they were doing at this facility got out the fact that a kid was able to steal it that easily without the cooperation of the guy running it and then the guy running it was won over to the kid's side that whole story would never have gotten out oh yeah no
1: that in some ways that very very everything's okay ending and the the crew of very stereotypical nerds helping out is why I call the second half a little Goonies-esque.
0: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. it's got that kind of underlying bright and hopeful that is in there, and that a little too comedic in running through its hallways at times in order to keep the very, very tense situation light enough to be okay.
0: Yeah, it's, it's too much of a, and haven't we all learned something today? Yeah. Like- no, that's not how this would have played no. out. And I'm not just saying that because the movie I watched before this was Colossus: The Forbidden Project. Oh, goodness! Uh, even when I first saw the, the Manhattan Project, I thought, you know, I liked this movie, but I'm sorry, that ending is not ringing true. But oh goodness, this film has such
1: a—I don't—I don't think it swings when it comes to tone. It doesn't shift wildly from one to the other. It just. It's, a, it's a, like a two-part harmony you wouldn't expect. It's this way too chipper and way too terrifying in, in this perfect sine wave with each other. It's like, um... <laughs> what have I just
0: seen? Am I happy or am I scared? The... One of the other flaws that I see in this movie, and I tend to find its flaws because it it is so well put together in so many ways that the, the its flaws jump out at me. One of them, I think, does come down to the screenwriting in that the characters are all very similar to one another in the way that they talk, in the kinds of senses of humor they have. It It's one of those movies where it very much feels like the screenwriter talking through the characters and which character that he needs to be talking at the same time is driven by the story. But what they're saying, and especially the way they're saying it, there's not enough distinction among the characters. So I think it's, well, it's, it's all the voice of the screenwriter. Versus War Games or, or Colossus, uh, especially War Games. You couldn't give um, the computer scientist the same lines as the government security agent or the general you could read any one of those lines and just on paper you would know which character this is exactly not not so with uh with the manhattan project they're all all very similar all the same kind of quippy sense of humor all the same kind of uh of, of way of speaking
1: we might be coming towards our final questions then in that sense i guess so yeah so i'm gonna ask you first this time uh yeah. screen or no screen
0: Screen. I'd say screen. I think this is an underrated movie. I'm disappointed that it has like uh, less than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's better than that. I think it it has its flaws, but it's still a worthwhile movie and it has some really good scenes and really good dialogue when it's when it is firing on sol- all cylinders. So I say screen.
1: I'm absolutely with you. And I think that this is a, but I think this is, I, I consider this like a board game night screen. This, it sounds weird. Like this is a movie I think that you could put in the background while you're setting stuff up and everyone's having some chips and such as part of an evening. It's not a It's not a make the entire evening around watching it. It's a put it on and have people watch some of it because it's got enough of this tone that it'll pull in the people it wants to. And the, everyone can kind of get a sense of it over time it doesn't have to be the center of the attention in that sense i guess i it, it feels a little little sad to say that about this but there's something about that that aspect where each of the characters can wind up sounding the same that makes me lean that way about it
0: i guess it depends on your your the way you approach movies i have trouble treating any movie that way i'm either going to watch this movie or i'm not movies that I've seen before and are mostly spectacle I can see as kind of background material like you know Lord of the Rings movie or um or Speed Racer yeah absolutely I don't know if I could if if this were on I would have to either ignore it 100% or I would sit and stare at it but that's most movies to me I can understand the next questions are really tricky on this one though yeah revive reboot or rest in peace in some ways,
1: the fact that it has that bit of unreality means that I feel revive is difficult. Like, I, that ending falls so overly everything came out all right that I it, I, feel like it cut the, the legs out from any future stories in that sense because of it. I could see trying to make that, but it would always be difficult for me because of it.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't leave any loose threads, it doesn't leave any questions unanswered. It 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 goes out of its way to tie everything up so neatly that the only way to do a sequel would be a a very contrived sequel that some totally unrelated story happens and it happens to involve these characters. You could get, you could maybe get away with a hubris of
1: actually revealing everything and then you wind up in a a lot of other people figure out how to do this somehow on lower yield and it becomes a million mini cold wars problem but that's a very different story even
0: and it's right. like great and like, it's a story that could be told without being a sequel to the manhattan project exactly a a
1: revival a, a, a reboot where you remake the entire thing <laughs> I could see that working. I could see it working better if you use a different technology, if you use a different dangerous tech instead of atomic weapons. You use something modern and switch out the MacGuffin in that sense, but keep the same plot and style and pace. But I don't know if it's the same film even then. It's not the Manhattan Project. It's just... Plucky kid steals thing, makes thing, is dangerous and doesn't realize just how dangerous he was, which is actually a wider
0: variety of films than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if (laughs) this movie's power comes from the fact that we're talking about an atomic bomb that's even bigger than its maker thought it was, it's a real big devastating high stakes risk it's a it 's a literally atomic powered film yes, so if it wasn 't a new an atomic bomb then i mean is it a uh algorithmic ai yeah uh, can, an an ai cyber weapon that might bring down the nation 's power grid it's yeah laser laser satellite control codes something like
1: that Eh, it's not the same that that was
0: a gi joe movie wasn't it actually yeah that's
1: the (laughs) problem like this movie exists in some ways and it's usually a plot point in something else i think one of the fast and furious movies if you strip out (laughs) atomic bomb and try to play mad libs you wind up building one of the plots of one of those films (laughs) it's like this doesn't stay the same you remove it's like the weapon in in practice if you remove any piece of it without very clear precision the entire thing goes off yeah and that kind of is difficult so it has to be rest in peace and it has to be rest in peace carefully and gently
0: (laughs) i could kind of maybe imagine a movie that is about well what's next for this kid what's next for paul stevens after the the, the federal charges that he has to deal with. And, and does he go to prison? How long? What happens when he gets out? What are the health effects of having worked somewhat haphazardly with this very dangerous material? But it would be a very, this would have to be a very character driven story and very somber and very depressing. And I don't see it being a happy perky adventure. It was always an interesting question for me is, well, what happens to these people after this? Uh- Wait a minute, if you you follow that but try to make it happy and perky in a weird
1: way, you wind up with, kid charged with federal crimes is probably told never to work with this stuff again for a very long time, and then you get a story about him working with it again later, and possibly an uplifting or attempting to be positive story about the effects of that. That's just the origin for the main character of Hackers, but you replace computers
0: with (laughs) nuclear weapons, and it's a very different film again. Yeah, it's... Not <laughs> I, very different. I'm trying to imagine now a a a hip, brightly colored movie that's about this community of smart, edgy, attractive young people who spend all of their free time working with fissionable materials. That last part, it's really yeah. it's hard to replace networks and software with that
1: yeah but it's the origin story there it's (laughs) what my mind jumped to when you tried to describe that yeah
0: you're absolutely right and that's the reason if if that's where we would have to go that's not (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) work oh well oh well so So, i think we're both agreed this
1: this should rest in peace so watch it and rest in peace we we give a lot of those we admit but there's plenty of good films in that category.
0: Well, you know, we 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 did talk exhaustively just now about the idea of a of a revival or a sequel. Would a reboot work? Well, that's the Would thing. It like need, yeah, it
1: doesn't really need one, I doesn't guess. Doesn't really need one. That's that's where you have to change it to modernize and it doesn't fit the same. Because in some ways in some ways, better security technology which would have to be the MacGuffin instead has replaced the very point and click way he was able to get through to make this story happen
0: i guess if you really thought this movie was better or could have been better than it was executed you could make a period piece and remake it but eh, he doesn't need that does it okay
1: usually i don't even discuss this can you make this movie work in the backwards movie way you have the story of a kid stealing materials and making a bomb. Can you make a story about a kid who steals the material out of a bunch of bombs and makes a
0: repository of it in secret? He harvests bombs and puts them in shampoo?
1: Kind of. like He hides the... He, he's, he's like sneaking into missile silos and stealing material with his same sort of point-and-click adventure skills and trying to hide all the warheads away because he wants to... One man disarmed the arsenal because he thinks it's the good thing to do. Usually I don't try to do the the movie played in reverse as a different film thing, but it's one of the only ways I can think to work with this material.
0: That's kind of sounding like either Ghostbusters with nukes instead of ghosts or one of the later Superman movies that wasn't as good. Kind of terrifyingly yeah. Yeah. i think
1: i've made once again i've made other movies again
0: <laughs> and i think you've made your point that no it's really not something you need to do with this one so uh, yeah i guess it is rest in peace
1: well if people want to uh to sneak in and uh and steal information about about uh our top secret plans where would they start with you dad
0: well leave my glittery shampoo alone <laughs> But uh, as far as information, you'll find me most places on the web uh, as by Matthew Porter. So you can go to ByMatthewPorter.com, at bymatthewporter on uh, on Twitter, bymatthewporter on Twitch. Eventually, bymatthewporter on YouTube when I finally get around to putting some videos up there. Uh, and Ian, where can people find you? I put all my ill
1: advised uh, makeshift component uh, lists on Twitter as item crafting. On Twitch as Item Crafting Live and on itemcrafting.com and just item crafting at most places. You can probably find me there.
0: And you can find the podcast on Twitter at uh, cast. You can also find us online at IMMProject.com. And that's where you'll find links to all of our back episodes, a link to our shop if you like things like t shirts and coffee mugs, a link to our contacts page. We'd love to hear from you there or, or on Twitter. And if you do reach out to us there, let us know in your message whether it's okay to read it as part of the podcast. And uh, you'll also find a link on our website to our Patreon. Thanks very much to anybody who's able to support us there. If you do, you get some additional content on Patreon. But most important, just thank you very much for downloading. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, If you like the podcast, let your friends know about it or give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Because we enjoy doing it, and because of that, we will be back in a couple of weeks with some more tales of media from times past. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.